Hello, world, and welcome to the Millennial Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Justin Deal, with my partner in crime, Tyler Ardron. Ty Guy, what's up, brother? How are you today? Yo, bro. What's going on? Not too much. Stoked for a great episode uh, ahead for you. And we have a special guest today, uh, somebody that's actually new to my network, came very highly recommended from a mutual friend that I love and respect. And uh, after spending, honestly, just a few minutes on the phone with him, I completely saw why we were connected and kind of where this episode would go. So actually, I want to start with a quote uh, that makes me think of this guest, and that is, your decisions, not your situation, dictate uh, the quality of your life. And uh, we'll kind of get into what that means. Uh, but our guest today uh, is Joe Argento. So Joe is a family man at first. He's one of seven, which we'll jump into. Uh, he and his wife, Catherine, they have five children at age, uh, age from 20 to four. Uh, and he so beautifully put it in our conversation that his wife is the full essence of a partner in every way. You know, husband, wife, uh, you know, mom and dad. And then they are business partners and owners of Mama's Meatballs and Pizzeria in Pensacola, New Jersey. They have a real estate portfolio. Joe's been in wholesaling for almost 20 years. Um, and I love his mindset. So we had this great conversation on going from operator to owner to investor. And I love surrounding myself with people like that, A, for the mindset, B, they're typically very big picture people, and C, typically those folks are very resourceful. So, Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Hey, you're welcome, man. Yeah. Welcome. Super excited to have you on. Yeah, thank you. So, as I said, we were connected mutual friend, Carl Apolito. Shout out to Carl. And uh, as usual, you know, outside of telling me a little bit about you, you sent your, your social media, right? And I realized we fall into this trap a lot of times. You know, I saw the restaurant, obviously, mouth-watering pictures. If you're in the area, make sure you get some food there. Um, and then your, your personal one, it was you know, your beautiful family, you know, the Davios dates with the wife, vacations. And we can get in this trap where... We were like, man, life is good. Life must always been good, right? The path must have been very straight from A to Z. And that's not always the case. So why don't you start, take us back to kind of your upbringing, obviously being one of seven children, adolescence, you guys can't tell what's sitting down, but Joe's six, seven. So it's one of the few times that I actually feel like a, a small guy. What do you think I feel like? Yeah, well, I wasn't going to throw it out there. I wasn't going to do you like that, but since you said it, um, but Joe, so tell us a little bit, like what, was you know childhood through adolescence like for you so um second oldest seven kids um my mother was naturally born american citizen my father was uh, an immigrant from the island of sicily and um <clears throat> being the second oldest is a, is a unique position and um it, it's a position that you know there's you know a lot of responsibility um a lot of especially coming from an Italian immigrant family is there's a lot of responsibility put on you. There's a lot of um, attention to understanding our culture, our family and where, where you sit. And like, you have a lot of people looking at you and, and looking at you to do the right thing, uh, which was not always the case in my, in, in my case, uh, you know, I, I didn't always lead by example in the right way. Um, but growing up, I mean, we, uh, my family came here in, I want to say, somewhere in the early 70s, 72, 73, something like that. My grandparents opened up their first pizza shop in 1976. And um, they built up uh, their business and they ended up, you know, opened up a couple different restaurants and uh, we're doing really well. And that kind of uh, branched out and, you know, uncles and aunts and cousins, like everybody started to open up their own restaurants. And, um, that really didn't happen for my family because uh, my father had health issues. He was an epileptic. And um, so he would, he pretty much just always worked for family. So, and, you know, when you come from an Italian family, it's, there's nothing really handed to you. You know, you, you have to earn everything that you have. And so my father was always an employee and, uh, you know, of family members. And it always kind of put him in a position where he, didn't feel like enough. He didn't feel like, you know, and, um, so growing up, you know, I used to beg him from the time I was five, four or five years old. I mean, we spent a lot of time with him when our younger years, when he was at the pizza shop six, seven days a week, 
my mom would take us down. We'd be there all day long, you know, just spending time with him. Because if not, we didn't get to see him. Mm-hmm. And um, I started begging like four or five years old. I want to come to the pizza shop. I want to, you know, I want to work. I want to work. I want to work. And um, eventually at like eight and a half years old, one Saturday morning, he woke me up. He said, go do your chores and get ready. Uh, you're coming to the shop with me today. And uh, from then, I, I just, I fell in love. You know, I, I fell in love with the fact that I got to work with my dad and my uncles and my grandfather and my grandmother and my aunts. And, you know, it was a, it was a family affair. And, and um, I really liked that. And I like the work too. You know, it's like um, in Italian culture, sitting down and having a meal is it's an experience it's um every meal matters and and sitting around the table with people that you care about and people that you love is uh, it's an important time of day which even to this day you know I, I make sure that our family sits around the table every single day it's it's bringing it back to home base it's talking to you know discussing problems and creating solutions and you know getting people getting everybody you know making sure that everybody's all right and okay and and heading in the right direction for their individual goals and our goals as a family as well. So the the food business to me is not just making a great meal. It's it's um, it's about creating an experience that people can share with one another. It's about getting families around tables and having those discussions. And especially when we've seen in the past decade, two decades, there's been an attack on the, you know, the, the, uh, the family, you know? And um, so for me, the food business is not just about making great food. It's about it's about creating an experience where, where people can share that experience and, and, and get to come together on that experience. So I started eight and a half years old in the, in the business, started like everybody does, you know, um, washing toilets, uh, scrubbing floors, <laughs> washing dishes, doing that kind of thing. And then, you know, a little bit, a little escalated to doing prep work, you know, stuffing the menagot and, you know, portioning things and doing, you know, slicing vegetables and all that kind of stuff. And um, by the time I was 13, um, my my uncle started training me how to make pizzas. You know, I, I'd learned the sandwiches, salad, you know, all that kind of thing. And so 13 years old, I started I started learning how to make pizzas um, so that I could give my uncle a little bit of a break. Um, the next year was kind of, it was uh, when I was 14 years old is, is when my father passed away. And um, at that point in time, there was, it was, um, Really, I mean, it's still, you know, this day when I think about it, it's, it, it was a tough, it was a really, really tough time in my life um, because I didn't just, my, I didn't just lose my father, but I was there for the entire experience. Um, I was woke up in the middle of the night from my mother crying and I woke up in a, in a bliss and I see my father being carried out of our house in a, on a stretcher, uh, the color of an eggplant. And, uh, you know, um, pretty much I wanted to be there for my mom. And so I was like, you know, I told my older brother, I want to go with mom. You stay here, watch after the littles. And at that point in time, the youngest, my youngest sibling was only like six, six and a half months old. So, you know, we, we followed it and it was, uh, you know, it was a really snowy night. So it was like a foot of snow on the ground. It was just a very dramatic, like, you know, if it was, a, if my life was made into a movie, it would have been a dramatic scene in the movie. You know what I mean? And, um, you know. Again, just not just having a father pass away, but being there for that entire experience, it, it kind of like really it shook me up, you know. And um, I came home that night, and something inside of me was like, you know, I I I got to step up and I got to do something. Like I got to I got to be there for my mom, you know. I got to be there for my siblings. Um, but at the same time, is like you know where I would try to 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 be the right person. Um, I was dealing with my own pain internally, you know, and um, I guess when you're not really taught how to deal with emotions in a certain way, you you use outlets that might not be conducive or productive. Um, and I definitely went down the wrong path and I, I, I made some really, really idiotic mistakes with drugs and alcohol and the wrong crowd and the wrong people and doing the wrong things that that led me to um, being on probation by the time I was 15 years old um, and uh, being in the juvenile system and and doing things like what I explained to you about the what we call act weekends, what they, or what they used to call act weekends, where they would round up all the juvenile delinquents uh, from juvenile detention centers and kids who were on probation or parole 
and they would put us in a barn for three days and they would have these marine drill sergeants would come and PT the life out of us, mm. you know? Mm. And I remember um, the first act weekend that I was required to do, I remember being there and hearing, like they were asking like, why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? And there's like kids that like tried to murder their parents and like do like all crazy kind of stuff. And I was like, man, I'm not like these guys. Like I just, you know, like I'm nothing like these people. I would never do something to, to harm anybody in that way, shape or form. But, you know, my actions led me to actually, you know, putting myself, my brother and other people in danger. And, and which is the reason why I was there in the first place. And, uh, you know, I did what was required of me. I, I knuckled down and I remember, um, we were reading the, the, the drill sergeants were reading us a book the one night. And I remember it clear as day, the one drill sergeant called me aside and, and he goes, why are you here? And I told him, you know, I gave him the surface level answer, you know, I'm here because I'm on probation and it's what the judge, you know, required of me. And he's like, no, no, why are you here, Mr. Argento? Because you are not like these people. You're not like the rest of these kids. These, these kids, a lot of them have some really, really dark things about them. But I know I've been doing this for many years and I've been in the Marine Corps and I've been in war and you don't have that darkness to your soul. You don't have an evil facet about you. So I asked you again, why are you here? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I just, I did, I just, I don't know, you know, but I came out of that weekend and I was like, all right, I got to straighten my stuff out. You know, I gotta, I gotta do the right thing. And, um, at that point in time, I had ended up dropping out of high school and, um, I went to work full time. I mean, the real situation is I, I got five younger siblings. Um, I got a mom who really was a housewife up until my father passed away and now had to kind of go and start to build a career for herself. And I, I mean, a shining example of a, of a human being. I mean, my mother, seven kids, husband passes away, really has been a housewife for the, the previous, you know, 17 years or at that point in time, my father passed away like 15, 16 years. And um, she did what she had to do. She, she knuckled down. She didn't have any skills. She was a high school graduate, nothing more, didn't have any college experience, had no real connections. She started as a, a secretary in, in, um, in the Wawa Corporation, you know, for the corporate offices. And um, based off of that, you know, they offer a variety of benefits. And, and so she started putting herself through college. She went to Gwen and Mercy University and, and started putting herself to, so she'd go from being a secretary to, you know, start raising her status in the company and, and raising her income and, and doing better for herself. And um, she eventually, like at this point in time, she's now, she's now um, on the corporate side of things. She's, I want to say regional manager where she manages finances, donations, charity work for the company for like 250, 300 stores. Um, but it's, you know, it's been a 25 year process for her, you know? Um, and, and one thing I remember about that whole experience with my father passing away is my mother, even when at her, his funeral, she never, she maybe let, let a trickle come down her cheek. She was just like, and not because she didn't feel the pain, but she, she wanted, she wanted to, um, she didn't want the, us children to be affected like dramatically by it, you know? And, and she was like, she was, I always call her, she's a rock of Gibraltar, you know? She's like, she's just solid, man. She's just, and having that as an example, I mean, you, you know, in hindsight being 2020 vision, it allowed me to develop the mental fortitude, the spiritual fortitude that I needed to, to go out in the world and, and kind of, um, you know, make my way. And uh, I still tell her, I, you know, I just talked to her the other day and let her know I was going to be on this podcast. And like, she's my, still my number one supporter. Still, every time we're in a magazine or on TV or whatever with the business. And it's like, you know, I, like I said, I try to keep it humble and keep it moving. But, you know, she's still, you know, right there next to my wife. She's my number one fan, you know. And um, 
once I dropped out of school, I really just, you know, put my head down, went to work, helped out around the house when I wasn't there, tried to help my, you know, when I was off from, from the pizza shop and I was working anywhere from 80 to 120 hours a week. Um, and, uh, when I was off, I tried to spend time with my younger siblings, do stuff with them, take them to the movies, you know, kind of do things that my mom really couldn't do because of financial situations. And um, I kind of still was dealing with my pain and 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 kind of, uh, you would probably say, like relapse in, in my way of thinking um, or life experience. And I kind of went down the wrong path again and it took me a couple of years to dig myself out of that hole drugs and just stupid nonsense, wrong people. And, and, you know, I, I let the, my ambition get the best of me in, in a, a certain way. And, um, that really taught me a lot, you know, coming out of that experience is like, okay, well, there's, there's productive ambition, there's unproductive ambition. And if you're, if unproductive ambition, I would say is, is, is blind ambition, unguided ambition, ambition that could lead you in a tomb or, in jail, you know? Um, and so after going through that and cutting ties with a lot of people, cutting ties with bad habits, I just said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work on being the best version of me. Um, which I did. I really, you know, I started reading a lot. I started and I, I, I remember having a dream one night, um, where I was sitting down in the living room across from my father having a conversation and all I could see, I was listening to what he was saying, but all I could see is his bookshelf behind him. My dad was same high school dropout. He was practically illiterate, um, was not well spoken to, but he loved, he loved knowledge. And so like he would even have my mom even being illiterate cause he couldn't, he would go to this bookstore, buy books that he thought would help him. But then he'd have my mom read them and record it so that he could listen. Like it was an audio book before yeah. audio, you know what I mean? Yeah. Free audio books. Yeah, free audio books. <laughs> and, um, and all I could see is the, the bookshelf behind him. And I remember seeing a few books. Um, I remember seeing a book, uh, Fortune at Your Feet by E.D. Kessler. I remember seeing um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I remember seeing, um, what's the last one? Um, Napoleon Hill, Eddie Kessler. Oh, Tony Robbins. The um, which one was it? It was the white and black one. I forget what it's called. The, uh, the, the Giant Within. Okay, yeah, I yeah. Think, or that's that's the black and gold one. I think the Giant Within was the that. And so I immediately, the next day, woken up. I, I went to the bookstore and I went and picked up those books. And um, the one that I still read to this day. Um, literally I le read it minimum once a year is thinking robot by Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Um, and I give that book to everyone. Mm -hmm. I give that book to anyone and everyone that I can, because it really, it, it led me to seeing things from a different way. And, you know, growing up in a household where we did have like a Christian background, um, you know, it, it was it kind of went in depth of some of these concepts that are that are biblical principles, but they're not really explained really well in the Bible, you know. Um, and and I just you know that book took off, and I still follow the principles in that book to this day, and it's really it's really helped me tremendously um, to to be where I am, be where I'm going, and and further and beyond. Um, but you know, there's been challenges along the way, you know, and uh, I got out of the, the restaurant business for a little while and did sales and got into real estate wholesaling and became a realtor and the car sales. And I, I, you know, my wife kept, you know, she was pushing me because she's like, you know, you do good at all this stuff. You're great at all this stuff, but there's not a fire like in your soul, you know? And, um, my, my uncle would call me up from time to time and ask me to go to the pizza shop and help out like on a busy night or whatever. And I'd go do it because, you know, what the heck else what do I got to do? You know, I'm not producing. I got to be producing. So um, and she would see it. She would come and she would she'd be there. And she's like, man, this is this is really like this is what you need to be doing. And so at that point in time, we decided, you know, we're going to we're going to either start a restaurant or we're going to buy a restaurant. And 
And um, we just put it out there. You know, we wrote it down as a goal. We put it out there and we said when it happens, you know, we, we put a timeline on it. But we're, you know, we're not really stuck on the timeline. We're stuck on the end result, you know. And uh, we went to go visit her dad out in Lebanon County, Pennsylvania. And uh, he's like, let's go get some pizza. So I took a drive with him. And he went to this pizza shop right around the corner from his house. And um, we went up place was closed down and I was like all right there's another place like five minutes from here and I remember we're walking back to his truck and there's a house right next to the the pizza shop and I turned around right as I was about to get in the truck and there's a lady walking out of the house and I said pop hold on one second someone was just calling me to like just go, go talk with this lady so I approached this woman now she looked at me like I like <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell are you? Why are you talking yeah. to me? You know? And I was like, listen, um, you know, I see this place closed. How long has it been closed? You know? And she, I don't know. It's been closed for about six months now. A bunch of, this place has been a bunch of places. People come in, they come out. I was like, do you know the owner? Like the owner of the building? Or she's like, yeah, yeah. He comes, he, he lives around town. He comes by every once in a while. I said, do me a favor. So take out your phone. She kind of looked at me because it's kind of like, it's very forward approach. I'm like, take, I'm gonna, take out your phone. I was like, Type in my number, you know, tell her my number. Types in, I said, text me, I, you know, so I have your number. And uh, I said, when you when you see the owner, give him my phone number and tell him that I'm interested in this place. And a uh, week goes by, text her, you know, nope, haven't seen him. A couple of weeks go by, nope, haven't seen him. About a month, month and a half goes by. Also, I get a text message, hey, the owner just stopped by today. I called him when I was outside and I gave him your phone number. But he also told me to give you his phone number. So fantastic, you know. So get the guy's number, call him up. Old Italian guy speaks very broken English. So, you know, my my Italian's not that great, you know, especially since my dad died. I just don't use it, you know. And um, we we set a meeting and we sat down and, I, you know, I said, what's going on with this place? It's like, oh, I own the building. There's apartments upstairs, you know, but I've tried to put people in here and they're just not, they don't, they don't make it work. They don't make it happen. So, you know, I'll explain them in my history and my, and it's, what's really funny about it is um, my grandfather had sent my uncle up maybe about 15 years earlier to me, to me buying this place and to, to go check it out as a prospective place for them to buy. And my uncle sat there for a week and working there, just trying to see if it was worth the money. My uncle went back to my grandfather. I said, nah, nah, this place is this place is not good. So, and I didn't find that out until later on, but I found that out after the fact when we had blown the place up. You know, um, we had we had just gone in there. We we brought something new to the table that nobody else was bringing in the area. And the the reality situation is, you know, I'm sure with you and and your industry and you and your industry, you understand industry standards and statistics and everything like that. And in the, in the pizzeria industry, the average pizzeria is open seven days a week and uh, produces about $9,000 in revenue a week. It's it's not a lot. Yeah. Right. But that's, that's the average, what that's what the average pizzeria across the United States does. We went in there and less than a year and we were doing nearly double that. Um, and mind you, a town that we had horse and buggies going by. It's a lot they're, of food. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> horse, there are horse and buggies going by. We had a feed mill in our our back parking lot. Like, wow. yeah, I mean, when I tell you, we had in a seven mile radius, maybe I think it was like around ten thousand people in a seven mile radius. Versus where Mama's Meatballs is in Pensacola, and we have a couple hundred thousand in a three-mile radius. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So to be able to do what we did was just it was it was unprecedented, it was unheard of. And um, but my wife, being a Jersey girl, she uh, she wasn't really feeling the the whole yeah. Amish vibe, you know. And <laughs> all respect, listen, those people yeah. are great people. The people around those areas are, are amazing people, but. It's a little slower pace than what you know we were used to, and a little, little, uh, <coughs> little less than what we wanted. And so at that point in time, we said, "Hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get rid of this place, and we're gonna we're gonna find something, and we're gonna go back to Jersey because we had lived in Jersey at that point in time." And um, so we started looking. We found a place. 
started negotiating the deal and something just wasn't sitting right. You know, this guy's got like three or four different places and, you know, his numbers aren't adding up. And, and then, you know, contractually, you know, I'm a, again, I have experience in real estate and I know how to read contracts and everything. And the guy that was trying to sell us the place was trying to get a non-refundable deposit without first getting prior written permission from his landlord, whether he could sell the place or not to me and get an approval, me getting approved for the place from, from the corporation. I said, man, I said, you either get the letter from the landlord or you don't. He says, I'm not doing this. Okay. I'm not giving you the deposit. And so we were kind of in this limbo from this place to finding the next thing. And, um, you know, again, went back to the Napoleon Hill principles, <laughs> sat down. What's the goal? What am I willing to do for it? What's the, you know, when's the end result? When we have to have this by just went through the whole process. And I, I believe we had set the goal for um, June of 2021, June of 2021. And this was in January, December of 2019, January of 2020. And um, we just put it out there and said, I was looking at places, I was calling people and, and I was like, you know, I just put it on, I put it on the back burner. I'm like, man, I got other things to do. Don't worry about buying another restaurant. And then all of a sudden, uh, and my wife was really, she was pushing. She's like, oh, I want a food truck. I want a food truck. Cause our first place, we had five, 6,000 square feet, a lot of employees, a lot of overhead, a lot of, a lot of headaches, you know, mm-hmm. and, and especially in, in a, this like where we were it just wasn't it wasn't conducive everybody around there are blue collar workers they want to work in factories they want to work on farms they want to work welding electric construction they don't want to work in a pizza shop you know what i mean so it was really hard i I mean i you know i was there every single day open to close every single day for the you know the term of which we own that place and she so she saw that and she's like well i like what a restaurant can produce for us, but I don't want the commitment of losing our time with our family, you know, and we're at this point in time, we're a young family, you know? So I'm like, ah, I want a storefront. She's like, I don't want a food truck. So we, you know, just put it out there. And uh, all of a sudden we find mama's meatballs, uh, food truck and storefront for sale. And we're like, oh man, this is, this is, uh, this this might be it. My wife's like, well, what are they asking for you? Sort of started going through the numbers. My wife's very, very particular with the uh, with the, the the financial aspect of things, and and she's like, I don't know if we can pull this off. So just let's go and see the place. Let's let's just do that. Let's go see the place. Let's go talk to the guy. Go and meet with the the guy, the the previous owner of Mama's Meatballs. Gives us the rundown. Been closed for like nine months. He used to run it as a food truck, used the storefront as a commissary. Just, he's done. You know, he's got two hair salons. He's got the food truck. He's got the store. Has a hard time staffing all of them. We're March, at this point in time, we start talking, negotiating. We're talking March, April 2020, right? Perfect time. Yeah, perfect time. <laughs> but I, I I truly, um, you know, I, there's this quote that I, I love uh, from Warren Buffett, which is, when others are fearful, you need to be greedy. And when others are greedy, you need to be slightly fearful. And so the world was scared at that time. And I was like, this is the time. Time to attack. Yeah, what's that? Time to attack. Time to attack. Yeah, no. And what's crazy is because I was wholesaling at this point in time. Uh, and and I I mean, you know, wholesaling is something that you can do virtually, you know. And, uh, and, and I'm making phone calls and everybody's like, the world is, you know, collapsing now and you want to you want to buy my vacant property? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, come on. What are you doing with it? You know, like, but it, it just, you know, and so I, even in real estate, as in with the res- restaurant business, everybody started going on the defensive and I was ready on the offensive. Went and talked to this guy, told him, you know, a little bit about who we are, what we did, you know, what we've done, what's our experience, this, that, the other thing. And, uh, you know, one question I, I always ask is, you know, um, we willing to hold a note, just like in real estate. Are you willing to hold a note? It's always one of the first questions I ask people when, when looking at real estate or when looking at a business. And we just looked at a business the other day. And first thing, you know, one of the first questions, are you willing to hold a note? Why? Because 
it's always easier to deal with person to person and create a situation that is conducive instead of going through the bank's ways. And banks don't like restaurants. I and mean, that's the reality mm-hmm. situation. And, um, you know, so it's, nah, nah, I need all the money up front. I said, okay, well, I can't do all the money up front. You know, I could probably do like, you know, X amount down and, and we figure out a, you know, a payment plan that that works for you and me both that, nah, nah, nah I need nothing. Okay, no problem. Well, if anything changes, let me know. Shake his hand, feel my merry way, go about my business, doing things, making moves for my family. Two weeks goes by, calls me up. Hey, man, I, 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 uh, I think I want to do that deal that you were talking about. Fantastic. When can we sit down and discuss the details? And uh, we, we worked it all out and everything by June 30th of 2020. And we took over June 30th, 2020. Uh, spent about a month cleaning things up, getting things ready, recreating the menu, getting the storefront ready, everything. And just we opened up July 31st of, of 2020. And uh, just shoot now. It's just been about it's just been three years since we opened up Mama's Meatballs and we have blown the doors off of any expectations that I, I could have had for the place. Um, and it, you know, it wasn't easy, mm-hmm. but we're, we're, we're doing things and we're right now we're in the middle of expansion. We're, we're working to uh, open up a dining room and expand our kitchen and, and continue to be able to serve our community the best that we can, the best food that we can with the best customer service. And um, it, it, it's really been a fun ride, but the, the one thing that through all of it, and it's something that you said, Justin, when we were just talking, is about resourcefulness, right? And that's something that Tony Robbins talks about. It's not that the most successful people don't have all the resources in the world, but they have the most resourcefulness. And, um, you know, my wife and I have, we've, we've thought about that because, you know, we didn't start with a lot. Even my wife, we're talking about me here, but the reality situation is my wife was homeless at one point in time in her life you know, in, in her early life. And, you know, she had an extremely rocky path, just like I had an extremely rocky path. And it's like, how do two people with backgrounds of, you know, coming from our background come to, to be able to do what we do? And the reality situation is it's all mindset. It's, it's a, by the grace of God and, and you know, <clears throat> having the right thought process, speaking the right words, connecting with the right people and, and taking the right actions, you know? It's definitely, I mean, a lot of the experiences, it's a ton to unpack there that you've dropped, but especially going back to your childhood, I think you, know, you learned a lot of lessons that most people don't learn until they're in their 20s, right? You learned about self-sabotage, influence, auditing your circle, vision and clarity. I mean, most people probably listening don't even understand half of that stuff. And that was kind of forced upon you at 14 through 17, where, you know, you couple slip ups, kind of you take that proverbial punch in the face, but you kept moving forward. You kept reevaluating and you had that mindset of I'm going to better myself. I love when you talked about with the drill sergeant and you were like, I, I just knew I wasn't, I've had that experience. I got into some trouble when I was younger as well. And same thing, you almost kind of, you feel like you have to like make up a story because people are in there for all these crazy reasons. And you're like, yeah, I like stabbed a guy. No big deal. You know, just like a little street cred. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, yep. no, nah, I got caught with marijuana. Not a big deal. Right. <laughs> and uh, it is, it's like, it's these moments you see now, right. And obviously looking back 2020 hindsight that, these all prepared you for the, these latter stages of life. And it's it's amazing to hear because as I started, it's both of you guys were in situations that, I mean, we see most people, it goes the opposite way, right? Your wife would have never picked herself up. She had a child at 17. It's like, you know, we've, we've discussed that. Tyler had his first child young. I was, you know, I was that baby myself. And a lot of people don't make it out of the statistics of that. You know, they never make over 30 grand. They don't get the education. They'd have no form of success. But here you guys are as living proof that it's the decisions. It's not the situation that dictates your life. And let's jump in a little bit with the wholesaling, because I know Ty loves talking about the real (laughs) estate side of things, too. So I'm pretty new in general to real mm-hmm. estate. So can you just break down for the audience if they're not familiar, what is wholesaling when it comes to real estate? Selling paper. It's literally, it's finding, it's finding good real estate deals, putting it under contract and selling that contract to end user or flipper. Um, so, and that's, I didn't even unpack that because that's a whole nother part of my late teenage years. And I went and saw a, a Russ Whitney, um, I went, I saw a, 
infomercial late night and saw this Russ Whitney guy in Florida. And uh, that's where I fell in love with real estate. I mean, I remember my father telling me young is like real estate and food business. People always got a place to live and people always got to eat. Right. So it's like, yeah. and those are my, those are my two things. Right. And wholesaling, it's the, the most simplistic way of getting into real estate without getting into real estate. And, um, it's essentially you don't have to have any credit. You have to very have very little money. If you're if the money you're spending is either for you know deposits, if you even have to put them, um, and it's for your advertising. Um, now, guys who are whole have massive wholesaling business and listening to this are gonna be like, that's not true. You know, I spent a lot of money. You know, but I'm, what I'm saying is when I started at 19 years old, 19, yeah, 19, 18, 19 years old wholesaling. I mean, it was literally going to crappy neighborhoods, knocking on doors, finding out who owns the vacant property, putting advertisements in newspapers saying, looking for, you know, busted homes or things like that and getting people to call me. And then it's, it's a numbers game. You know, it's, it's, well, it's a numbers game because how many people you talk to, um, then you have to be able to evaluate every situation and every situation is different. Whether there's a note on the property, there's not a note on the property, whether it's vacant or the back taxes, are they in foreclosure? What's the situation? Are they divorced? Is it like a probate home? There's so many different situations that come up in wholesaling. So every situation has to be evaluated um, per situation. And then again, is you have to, you have to know your numbers. You have to understand that, okay, um, end value of a property or the after repair value of a property is X. Okay. Typically what is the formula? Well, we're typically looking at making an offer about 35% of the after repair value. So, you know, for simple mathematical purposes, if the property is worth a hundred thousand dollars fully fixed up max, we're going to offer is 35,000, but really we're going to start probably at like 20. That's our going to be our first offer. And mm. if we have to go to 35, you know what I mean? Yep, sure. And that's just a basic fundamental formula. It's, um, you know, and it doesn't always mean that's, um, it's not always what happens, but th- you have to, because at the end of the day, if you don't know your numbers, you're not going to be profitable. And I had that happen a couple of times early on where it was like, I paid money to make this deal happen. Like, yeah, yeah, it took a bath in that deal. Um, But the reality situation is, and sometimes there are deals that are are killer deals that, you know, they're very, very rare. But um, again, you got to play the numbers in your favor. How many people you talk to, how many offers, you know, how many, you know, properties have you assessed, how many offers you make, how many offers are accepted. And then once you go and you do the title work, that's another, that's another falter in the problem is, does anything come up? You know, is there any, Anything on the title that's going to hinder you from uh, getting this to an end buyer who's going to either fix it and rent it or fix it and sell it, you know? But wholesaling is for anybody that wants to get in the real estate game, little to no credit, little to no money. Um, Again, resourcefulness is your your number one thing because there are guys who have these massive wholesaling businesses are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in advertising and teams and this and that. And I bet you if you look at their numbers because sometimes, and I know this from inside perspective, uh, being a one man show and, and doing wholesaling and then actually going to try to think that I don't really know a lot and going to work for like teams that are doing wholesaling. And I don't like mean to like put anybody on blast or anything like that, but a lot of times it's a lot of fluff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of times there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of fluff and it's more ego that's involved in that. You know, for me as a, a one man show in the, in the wholesaling game, I can, I'm quick and nimble. I can make things happen. There's nobody, I got to go through the process. I make okay. it, I'm taking it from, you know, the original owner and to the, the end buyer. And, you know, I, I do everything in the middle of the process and I make all the profit on, on, at the end of the day, I make that middle ground and, uh, you know, but, Sometimes when you go you go bigger, you 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 you're losing margin. You know, mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's not for everybody, but that's from what my experience and in, in being involved with teams of people. Um, that was my personal experience. Yeah, now you get you uh, you and Tyler were sharing some some woes of uh, <laughs> the, the residential side. And you had mentioned that you're really looking to kind of transition into the the commercial side of things. Yeah, so what's that look like? Commercial real estate. I mean, in, in my opinion, and so. I look at this from a 
couple different views. I don't know if you guys know who Grant Cardone is. Oh, yeah. I mean, you might Mr. be 10X, sleeping. Yeah, yeah, say, if you don't know Mr. <laughs> 10X, you, you might be <laughs> sleeping under a rock. But, um, you know, I got introduced to Grant, uh, I want to say about 10, 11 years ago. Um, this was before he was who he is now. Went, you know, completely, um, I don't even know how to explain it. That man, his, what he's done in the last decade is everybody would call it impossible. Mm. Like literally having a net worth of under $10 million to being a net worth of over three, three million, three billion dollars. Like that's, it's crazy. That's and serious and to me, from a person who thinks in the, the realm of impossible, like from the realm of possibilities, like it's not impossible to me, but most people will be like, there's something crooked about it. Right. Mm-hmm. But from meeting Grant about 10 years ago and knowing where he was and what he was doing and how he was doing it and what he is now, it's consistency, man. But Grant really put me on the thought process um, when it comes to the commercial side is, you know, your efforts, um, if it takes the same amount of energy to do this big of a deal as it does to do this tiny of a deal, Mm -hmm. why are you wasting time on the tiny stuff, right? And and when it comes to commercial... Um, when it comes to commercial real estate, I mean, there's so many different varieties, whether you're doing shopping centers, um, whether you're doing storage unit facilities or what have you, there's so many different verticals that you can go in. And for me, I haven't really found my niche yet. Where we're at right now with the commercial side of things is we are in uh, contract to purchase our shopping center that our restaurant is in. So once our lease is up, uh, if our landlord decides to sell the shopping center prior to the term that we've agreed to, I have the first word refusal. And if not, I get to buy it at the end of the lease term. Um, and for me, it's like, I look at that from, from my perspective as a, as a restaurant owner. And you and I talked about this a little bit yesterday is we've built our restaurant to be, to be able to operate without us. Um, and I think every business owner should really take a, a perspective of if your business is reliant upon you, you are not an owner you were an operator, um, and and that's okay. If that's what you want, if that's where you are, it's okay. But you have to be able to identify that. And for me, is really you know the whole realm of the the cash flow quadrant. Um, you know, from Robert Kiyosaki talks about being an employee first, and then the next level would be being like uh, a business owner, right? Um, but. And you, the whole point is to get to the investor part where you're investing your money, but you're not investing your time, right? You're creating systems um, that are able to allow other people to do the work while at the end of the day, you collect the profits. And it takes a, a unique individual to get to the point where you're able to see the 40,000 foot view and create systems and process and put the right people in place and have the right training and like thinking about all the what ifs, what if that, what if this, what if that, to be able to um, create that that business that is going to be able to operate without you or be relying on one individual, whether it's you or any individual, right? And for me, the way that I look at this is kind of the real estate game and mama's meatballs, they kind of go hand in hand. Think about McDonald's, right? Who owns the land under McDonald's? Is it the franchisee or is it the franchise? Franchise. Yeah. They own the they're land really under the every, and then they the lease. The real estate company. They had a real, food company. And they're the <laughs> largest real estate company in the world. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and the the reality situation is that's the way I look at it is, is I look at the future of Mama's Meatballs. My wife always tells me, slow down. Slow down, babe. We got to look at the next 12 months, you know, the next 36 months. And I'm like, I see 10, 20 years in the future. And so... You know, and, and Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank even says it. You want to own the land under your under your your business. You really want to lease from somebody else? No, you don't. At the end of the day, you want to you want to have control over as much a, of of your world, your business, your life as possible. And for me, the way that I see it is that Mama's Meatballs in real estate is the growth of my business in two different ways. If I own shopping centers and I got let's just say like the shopping center I'm in, I got six units, two. Two units are taken up by a restaurant that I built, and I have somebody operating for me, and I have four tenants. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, what are we talking about? It's it's 
it's um, it pays for itself. Yep. Your margins are ridiculously, you know, you're, you're you're extremely profitable, and at the same time, you have the leverage of what it means to own the real estate, yep. right? Yep. Um, which is why a company like McDonald's can go anywhere, do anything, influence any township, and put a McDonald's anywhere, they, they, anywhere they please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, exactly. Um, and not saying like, you know, I'm not saying that in an arrogant way. I'm, I'm just saying like, from my perspective, I look at that and I'm like, that's where I want to be. Yeah, the vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exciting. And, and the other thing about commercial real estate too is I look at, I look at everyone in my family that's in the, the pizza business. And some have been in for 40 years and some are still operating their businesses. Mm. And one thing my dad told me when I was young is, you don't want to be in this business. He, he told me you want to be in the food business, but he also contradicted himself and says, you don't want to be in the pizza business because you miss weddings and you miss birthdays and you miss this and you miss that and you lose time. and You may have money, but you don't have the time. And it's probably, uh, it's probably my, a uh, little bit of my personality, but I was like, I want to prove that wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, you know, that, that's what I spent the, you know, between my first restaurant and this restaurant, it's what I spent the last, you know, six, seven years working towards is creating systems and processes. Like we're technically considered a small mom and pop shop, but so how many mom and pop shops you walk in that have a recipe for every single thing that you have. And I can teach that recipe to anybody that walks to the door has task lists for, well, job description, Org chart, it breaks down. I have org charts, job job positions, job descriptions, pay plans, task lists, front of the front of the day, middle of the day, end of the day, uh, prep lists, par lists. Like literally, I have gone through and thought about every aspect of a restaurant business and all the what ifs. If I was to transplant my brain into a manual and into a training system. That's what I've spent my time doing so that I could take a step away and monitor from afar. And it's what's given me the freedom that I have, but also the, the you know, the fine, not just the, the time freedom, but the financial freedom, the more trust you have in, in other people, um, the, the more leverage you, you have in your business. I think the policy is even more so, uh, I don't know if you've read the book E-Myth, but there's a line in that, that, you know, great companies aren't built by great people. It's built by great policies where average people can be plugged in to produce great results. And at your point, it is great to obviously have trust, know people and all that. But when you have everything spelled out that you could, you know, if we were one to 10 in people, if you could bring in a two to produce 10 results, that's, you know, for like being sold down the line, that's where all the value is. Mm-hmm. is. And like you said, then you get your time back, which is the most important part of it all, especially with having a family. Yeah. But I can't stress enough those procedures. I think that's what we've talked about in the past. It's the pandemic. A lot of people got exposed, right? For about eight years before that bull economy, you could be like, okay, at your job and make a killing. Mm-hmm. Then things got a little tighter and people realized either A, they have no idea what their finances are and how to really even do the projections and read it. Or B, they're like, man, we don't really have any systems in place. We've kind of just been shooting at the hip. It's been working. But now, you know, things are starting to kind of fall apart. So it's great that you've you've had that mindset. You've learned, obviously, from I'm sure prior lessons that kind of proved to you that, okay, maybe I should have a process here. Mm-hmm. And I think we learned as owners as well. It's it's nice when you have that process too, because now every time somebody comes in the door, you know it's going to be the exact same thing. Because in the beginning, when we all start our businesses, you kind of train everybody uniquely, right? Like you think you give them all the same, yeah. but you're like, damn, I definitely didn't say this to them <laughs> until the situation exposes itself. Yeah. Then there's that learning lesson. 100%. I, I couldn't agree with that more. One thing I want you to go into, because I'm always interested in how people kind of like find their mentors. And, and you had said something to me yesterday when we spoke, and I saw it on your social as well, that You've stood on the shoulders of giants. So what does that mean to you? And how have you gone about finding the people who are going to mentor you and, and help give you the direction in life? I mean, I, I truly believe it's, you know, God puts people in my life uh, for very specific reasons, whether I understand what it is or not. Amen. Um, and so what it really is, is, when it comes down to people coming into my life and teaching me lessons, good, bad, or indifferent, it comes down to me being where I need to be to be able to receive that 
that teacher, that mentor. Um, and, and, and that goes with even, you know, the gifts that I'm, I'm graced with is, you know, again, it's, it's never the end result that is worth the success. It's, it's really who you become in the process of, of developing that. And so when I say that, you know, I, 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 I have so many people that I could shout out and give credit to. Um, and, and the reason why is because I, I really, I'll never stop learning. I'm an open book. And the worst phrase you could ever say is, I know, right? Because even when you think you know, you don't know. And so I would rather, doing this podcast is even hard for me. Like, I like to talk, but I don't like to talk about my stuff. Sure. I like, I would rather ask, I'd rather be on your guys' end, ask questions, and pick the brains of people to learn from them. So... Um, that's really I mean, what it comes down to is, is every stage of my life has come with, with different mentors. Um, you know, after my father passed away, you know, I really, I, I really took a liking to his, his one brother, my uncle Vinny, who had his own pizza shop and, you know, he's God rest his soul too. He's up with my father, but, um, his, he's been, um, he passed away. I'm going to say it's, it's been a while. It's five, seven years, something like that. But his business is still operating and his children are now next thing. But the thing is my, my uncle Vinny, he taught me how to, he taught me how to be with people. My, you know, out of, out of my dad's brothers, my dad was a shy one. So I didn't get my, I didn't really get my, um, my ability to talk to people and my ability to connect with people from my dad. Um, I got it from my mom, but I, I learned how to, in my business, I learned how to communicate by my Uncle Vinny. I learned how he was as a businessman. I remember one time my grandfather told me, you know, one of the good things about your Uncle Vinny and why he is as successful as he is, because if he earns a dollar, he saves 50 cents. And he doesn't earn 50 cents just to, to save it and sit on it. He earns 50, he, he saves 50 cents so that he can build a nest to then invested in something else that is going to continue to allow him to grow. And I, I remember saying that, and I, my grandfather telling me that, and I really took a liking to my uncle and my uncle taught me a lot of things about business, a lot of things about people. Every person that walked through the door, of his restaurant was buddy, pal, gorgeous, handsome. Like yeah, he yeah, just, yeah. he just had it. And, and when I tell you, man. yeah. And when, when he, when, when he passed away and we went to his funeral, I can't even tell. I've never seen anything like it. You know, like how many people he built such a name for himself. And it's, I don't know if you've ever heard of Boyertown, Pennsylvania, but he had gotten so many people to fall in love with him that when we went as his family, we had a hard time getting into his funeral because of how many people were there. And it was just like, you know, and, and to me that was like, wow, that's a, that's, he made such a massive impact in such a short period of time. And, and I really, I really sit on that because I think about that as like, you know, at the end of my life, what kind of impact have I made to not just my wife and my children, but my brothers and my sisters, you know, my cousins, you know, my friends, my acquaintances or anybody that I've come in contact to, you know, what are they going to say about me? So my uncle was really, after my father passed away, like my first mentor um, and then it was, uh, these two gentlemen, uh, Sal and Vic Moscarello, uh, out of Hatfield, Pennsylvania. I worked for them for, I want to say 12, 13 years after my father passed away, I went to work for them and I learned a lot. Well, I learned a lot from them because they were the type of guys that they had a pizza shop and they had a, a bakery across the street. Um, but every dollar that they earned in, in, the, the pizzeria business, they reinvested it into real estate. And they, at this point in time, I don't know how many properties they own, but it's probably close to 20, 30% of Hatfield and Lansdale, like properties that are owned by, you know, like companies. It's these, these guys, they buy properties, they build commercial uh, shopping centers. And when they do them, I mean, you're not talking like a lot of these shopping centers that get thrown up and they're going to be knocked down in 30 years. These guys build shopping centers because when they're putting their name on something, that building's going to be there in 200 years from now. That's the way they build their buildings. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I watched them and I worked for them and I not only learned because in the pizza business, 
you know, we talk about averages, right? We talk about average. We talked about the average of what's in the pizza business. Now, these guys, you, you want to talk? They, they have a restaurant. They're and they just have one pizza shop, you know, that they started with. And that pizza shop, I want to say, seats 150 people, four different dining rooms, you know. But it didn't start like that. It was small, and it was just like what I really admire about these guys is their ability to put their head down, do the work over long periods of times. And then make the right decisions because the pizza business can be, the restaurant business in general can be an extremely profitable business. But if you don't prop it up, if you don't, like, if that's your only thing, then, you know, if you don't have the right systems and processes in place, that could be a short-lived thing because it can really burn you out. How many, uh, when spoke with a guy the other day about his restaurant and acquiring his restaurant, you know what he said? And it's what everybody says, burn out. Yeah. I'm burnt out, right? And these guys, they 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 built a really solid pizza business and grew that and expanded that as much as they could. And then they they take their profits and then they reinvest it in commercial real estate, residential real estate. And and they just really and so I watched them and and they were really a true inspiration to me to get into the real estate game. You know, besides the words that my father said is I was like, these guys know what they're doing, right? Um from there, I mean, you know, once I got out of um, out of the, the restaurant business for a little while, I learned from a lot of people in the real estate game. Um, Joe Evangelisi, hands down, has been a, a really great mentor, and not just in the real estate game, but in life in general. I mean, he's he he is a man who is a highly productive individual, um, and he is really efficient in what he does. Um, and, and you know, if you aren't acquainted with him, or you're just in his social media network, you don't know him on a personal level, you can watch and you can see, like, he's efficient. Mm-hmm. And the way he builds his businesses, that the the, the whole back end is, is um, what's it called? Entrepreneurial Operating Systems, EOS. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if mm-hmm. and And, man, when you- when We practice you, it. Yeah. My so, company does, yeah. So it, talk about efficiency, right? Yep. Uh, you When you're running a company, talk about efficiency. And he was the one that introduced me to that concept and and really doing what, what I do when I talk about building the systems and processes in a pizza business, which mo- nobody thinks you should do, you know? Yep. Um, and, I mean, my brother-in-law, Sean V. Bradley, um, he's in a completely different field, but he's a he's in the National Speakers Association. He has a company called Dealer Synergy that um, trains uh, car dealerships all across. You know, he's trained car dealerships all across the world, but mainly across the United States, um, how to sell more cars more often and more profitably. Um, he's also the person that introduced me to Grant Cardone and um, you know put me on to Grant Cardone and. Um, he's, he's a, he's a brilliant man. Um, he really is. And his strategy when it comes to business and his ability to look at a 40,000 foot view, now me and Sean are a lot alike where we have the 40,000 foot view. We need a little help bringing it down to the the minute details, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and his wife, Karen, who my sister-in-law, she's also been a really great mentor and guide for my wife and I in business um, because they just, they have more experience than us. You know, they're older than us. They have more experience than us. They own seven different companies. She's been tremendous. And, um, and, and kind of she, for Sean, she really brings the, the detail orientation into, you know, their business. And um, as my wife does to mine, you know, I, I have the vision and she helps bring it down into the most minute detail that allows us to do what we do and kind of move forward. Um, I mean, I can go on and on there. I have so <laughs> many people that yeah. I, I could shout out, but I, I really like to, and, and, you know, our mutual friend, Carl, um, you know, I, he probably wouldn't consider himself a mentor, but he's, he's definitely an inspiration because he's, he's somebody that just like you and I, we know, or know we're, we're faulted and we know that regardless of our faults, that it's by the grace of God that we are able to do what we do. Mm-hmm. And um, he may not even know this because I probably never told him this, but he really is a true inspiration because regardless of the challenges that he's faced, he's always trying to align himself with with our creator. And to me, that is like, that's a, that's a sign of humbleness 
And it's also a sense of gratitude, you know, um, because when you realize like, you know, I don't got it all figured out and I don't have to have it all figured out, but I know I have a, like, I'm being called to something and I need to, I need to know when to align myself in prayer and when my align myself with the right people and, you know, um, really let, you know, God work through me versus, you know, me thinking I got control of everything, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, Couldn't agree more. Joe, this was, uh, I mean, this was an amazing hour spent together. I, I hope that, you know, our audience took a lot from this. You know, again, I think it boils down to the original statement, right? It's the decisions, not the situation. And it's, it's so refreshing to see all that you've, you've built. You know, we wish you the continued success and, uh, everything will be, uh, on there for folks to follow you. So, as always, friends, we really appreciate you coming on, checking out the podcast. Stay tuned with us. We're going to have a lot more episodes. Reminder, we're going to a month now, so you're going to see a lot more of these beautiful faces. But as always, friends, thank you for tuning in. Have the best day ever. Best day ever, fan. Best day ever. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah.